I invite you to reach for your Bibles or turn in your device and find Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 15. We're going to be reading in verses 17 through 24. And again, Romans chapter 15, verses 17 through 24. And would you stand with me for the reading of God's word here? The Apostle Paul writes in verse 17 of Romans 15, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Elycrium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Oh, how we thank you for your word, the authority of your word, the truth of it, We thank you for what is written here before us in Romans chapter 15. We thank you for the ministry of the Apostle Paul and now how he conveys to us of taking the gospel, advancing that gospel to hard places. And might we even now today persevere in that endeavor. And so, Lord, use our church in that process. Use us even now to motivate us, to challenge us, to convict us by the preaching of your word. And so we ask that you would use Pastor Chris as he proclaims your truth. May we have open hearts, open minds to receive it, to not just hear it, but to be doers as well. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, last week in our study of Romans, we learned that Paul, his purpose in writing Romans was missional. Paul's purpose was to encourage churches to partner, to partner with the triune God in advancing the gospel in hard places during hard times. And for Paul, we saw from this passage that the hard places had been in the eastern part of the empire, but now, as you just read, he was moving westward, and that hard place was Spain, a place that was unreached, a place that was considered barbaric, a place that spoke different languages. But today, for us, that hard place is the 5,000 unreached, unengaged people groups that represent 2 billion lost people 
People who do not have what we so much enjoy in our country. They do not have a Bible often in their own heart language. They do not even know another believer. They are like what one of our global partners in East Asia, when talking about Christ, the people said, what is Christ? They didn't even know that he was a person. They don't have a body of believers, much less two services and streaming and audio and digital. It's like what Rick Warren said. Every uh, people group needs a believer, a Bible, and a body of Christ. And we saw that Paul was continually reminding his converts and his churches that regardless of how mature they were, they needed to be reminded that the gospel not only saves the lost, but it also grows the saved. And it doesn't just merely grow the saved, but the gospel is dynamic and it reaches the unreached. You see, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life that we grow out of. It is the A to Z of the Christian life that grows us into Christ-like maturity and unity. And that unity enables us to advance the gospel to the unreached. And so we saw last week that there were these two essentials. Unite around the gospel message to partner with the Trinity to advance the gospel to the unreached. But what happens when a young couple like Russ and Noemi, what happens when they're sent to a hard place? Well, hard places and hard times call us to persevere in bearing gospel fruit. Hard places and hard times require persevering. And that's what Romans 15, 17 through 24 is about and what our message this morning is focused on. Now listen, there are many reasons why the unreached are unreached. But one of them is that they are in hard places. The easy places have already been taken. But as soon as I say that, I want you to remember that even in easy places or easier places, there are still hard hearts. And in hard places, God has already prepared soft hearts. And so some of this terminology is relative because here's what I want you to see. No matter where you are, when there are hard hearts and fruit is not being seen immediately, We need to persevere, and we need to know how to persevere. And so this morning, I want you to see three ways to persevere in bearing fruit in hard places. And that's as true right here in Kansas City as it is in the farthest and most unreached people group that exists today. So let's take a look at it, and here's the first way. Here's how we persevere in bearing fruit in hard places. We look forward to boasting in God's fruit. We look forward to boasting in God's fruit. Again, look at verses 15, or I'm sorry, 17 through 19. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power 
of the Spirit. So the first thing I want you to see is we need to persevere until we see His fruit. We need to persevere until we see His fruit. In other words, we need the patience of a farmer. The farmer plants, the farmer cultivates, the farmer waters, he fertilizes, but at the end of the day, he has to wait to see the harvest. Uh, This fall, I I reseeded my back with the help of Bill up here and his lawn company, and for two weeks, you just water, and you water, and you water, and you think of the bill going up, but there's no grass to be seen. And then finally, on that day, there it is. I mean, it's like overnight. It's miraculous, and you see the fruit, but you've got to persevere. And, And if you go to church with Bill, he'll remind you every Sunday, did you water the grass? Because you have to persevere until you see the fruit. It's like the parable of the sower that Jesus taught. You sow with abandon, but the sower must wait to see where the fruit will come, when the fruit will come, and whether the fruit will last. But let me give you a warning about persevering until you see his fruit. Because sometimes we can think perseverance is passivity. Or worse, we think it's the insanity of never making any adjustments in how we're sowing and sharing the gospel. So let me give you, we don't want to be what Albert Einstein said. He is credited with saying the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again but expecting different results, all right? And sometimes we can do that in the church. And so here's three things that perseverance is not. First of all, it's not thinking that God does it all so that we can slack off, okay? It's not an idea of, of uh, like William Carey, when he was going to go to the, the mission field, a pastor stood up and angrily pounded his fist and said, young man, if God wants to see those people saved, he will do it himself. But the reality is we need to ask, are we not seeing fruit because we're merely being lazy instead of being diligent like a farmer? Second of all, perseverance is not being jerks that needlessly drive people away. Let's be honest, sometimes we as Christians, we just do dumb things that drive people away needlessly. And so we need to ask ourselves, if we're not seeing his fruit, are we being foolish or are we being wise? And then third, perseverance is not doing whatever works in order to appear successful. You see, sometimes we get impatient with not seeing his fruit, and so we become pragmatists that do whatever program and whatever thing will get some visible results. That way we will look successful. And so when we're not seeing fruit, we need to resist the temptation to not be pragmatists, but remain biblicists. Listen, here's my point. God uses means. He uses us. He uses me and you. He uses our church. He uses our global partners. But the reality is this, and Paul says this. Look at verse 18. He emphasizes this in verse 18 when he says, through me, through me. And then he says, by my words and by my deeds. Listen, we've got to speak the gospel. We are his mouth. We've got to show his love. We are his hands and feet. He works through us to accomplish that. And so 
as we think about seeing fruit in hard places, we need to remember we need to be diligent in doing our part in humble dependence on our triune God. We need to be wise in planting, cultivating, and making adjustments in how we sow the seed. And we also, above all, we need to rely on God and His revealed will and persevere until He brings the harvest, until He does what only God can do. And when He does, then guess what? We get to boast in the triune God who gives His fruit. And so we persevere until we see His fruit, but then we boast in the triune God who gives His fruit. Now look at verse 17. Paul says, I have found reason for boasting. Now what's that mean? It refers to glorying, reveling, rejoicing. And here in Kansas City, you could say it as simply, it's like you're cheering for the chiefs, right? You got that? That's what we're talking about. It's being loud. It's being excited. It's being all in. It's investing yourself and it's rejoicing. That's why every year we call this our World Outreach Celebration. That's the boasting, the celebrating in what God has done in and through us as a church, but also what God has done in and through our global partners that we pray for, that we give, and that we support. Now, notice the balance in Paul's boasting here in verse 18. He is not pretending or denying that he had anything to do with the fruit. Again, he says, through me by my words, by my deeds. But neither is he claiming that he had any power, any wisdom, or any ability to do what only God can do. Look again at verse 18, at the ultimate goal. You see, the goal is something we cannot accomplish, and that is the obedience of the Gentiles. A total life transformation from the inside out. And when that's your goal, then it becomes very clear that this is not something that you and I can do. Are you with me? And Paul makes sure the Romans understand this because he says it at the beginning and he says it at the end that the goal of his ministry was the obedience, he says in Romans 1.5, the obedience of faith. You see, This is not something that even those we reach can do. They can't do it by their own ability and wisdom and effort. You can't do it by your own ability. It takes faith in what the triune God has done for us already. And so this goal, when you're talking about the goal is a total obedience, we're not talking about mere decisions. You can manipulate people into decisions. You can manipulate shame or even guilt people into coming to church and looking and acting like a Christian on the outside. But when you're talking about an obedience that comes from a transformed heart that's due to faith in a a divine, miraculous, miracle-working God, well, then that's something that only God can do. The goal is is disciples who make disciples 
who obey all that Christ has commanded. This idea of obedience was what Jesus said was the goal of the Great Commission, right? Baptize, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's the triune God you're identifying with and teaching them to do what? To fill their minds? No, to obey all that Jesus has commanded. A pastor friend of mine would often send emails out about what God was doing through his witnessing and through his ministry. And he would always end his story at the end with these words, only God can do these things. So let me ask you, LifeBridge, let me ask you, those who are here, what is God doing in your life that you can write across it, only God can do these things? You see, look at verses 17, 18, and 19. He highlights in Christ Jesus. This is only possible in Christ Jesus. And then he says, in things pertaining to God. And then in verse 18, except what Christ has accomplished through me. And then in verse 19, by the power of the Spirit. We saw this last week. Paul is once again, in the space of about six verses, has focused our attention on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so we partner with this Trinity. I remember, uh, it's been decades now, we had a year-long theme in our church, Partners with God. And there was a dear saint, and she was a dear lady and a dear, dear member of our church, but she's kind of a little bit of a porcupine and just kind of always kind of keeping you on your toes and, and said, Chris, I just don't think we are partners with God. You know, it's kind of just God's thing. But, you know, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. We can use that terminology as long as we remember who the senior partner is. Amen? As long as we remember who ultimately gets the glory. You see, the fruit is going to come. And so we persevere until we see it. But here's where the good news is. The pressure's off because the Trinity is the one who gives the fruit. And because he, the Trinity, three in one, gives the fruit, we can joyfully boast in what only He can do. So let me give you here, we boast in the triune God because, first of all, it's the Father's fruit, not ours. It's His fruit, not ours. It's His vineyard, not ours. We diligently sow, we cultivate, we harvest, we work. But at the end of the day, we can go to bed and lay our heads down and know that one day in the morning we will rise and by His grace, fruit will be seen from our sowing of the gospel. You see, it's His responsibility. Fruit is His responsibility and not mine. Second of all, it's the Son's work not ours. It's the Son's work, not ours. In fact, He is the gospel. The gospel doesn't belong to Him. He is the gospel. He's the who and the what of the gospel. And so we share Him. And He does the work through the preaching of the gospel. Notice He says, in Christ Jesus and what Christ has accomplished. Listen, it is the most important thing 
for this young couple, for each of us here, especially for pastors, for missionaries, to understand my identity is not tied to this work. It is his work, not mine. My identity is not tied to seeing fruit. It is God's fruit, not mine. You see, it's his work and not mine. And so my identity is not tied to whether the work succeeds or fails. It's not tied to whether it's small or it's big. It's not tied to whether it happens quickly or slowly. And listen, what a liberation when we understand that this is not my work. It's not my identity. And so I'm free. I'm free to sacrifice and to live and to work for him. And thirdly, it's the Spirit's power, not ours. It's the Spirit's power. Without him, we can do nothing. Notice what he says in verse 16 in your Bibles. It's the Spirit who sanctifies and sets people apart and regenerates their heart and makes them holy and acceptable to God. You know, it's sad, but we we are tempted to think, I can do something with a lost person that would somehow make them acceptable to a holy God. And the reality is, I can't. I can't do, I can't even, I can't do anything for myself to make myself acceptable to a holy God. It takes the sanctifying, regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, Jesus made this clear to his first disciples and to the church. He said, look, stay in Jerusalem. Don't you dare try to fulfill this great commission without my indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. It's his presence that is the power to be witnesses. You see, Paul, as one of Christ's uniquely chosen apostles, he mentions the signs and wonders in the power of the Spirit. I'm not going to just skip over verse 19 as if it's not there. It is there. But notice what his focus is on. He says, yes, the Spirit accomplished this. It was part of my unique apostolic ministry. But look at what he focuses on in verses, end of verse 19, in the beginning of verse 20. He doesn't focus on performing miracles. He focuses, he doubles down on preaching the gospel, because it's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. These miraculous signs validated that Messiah had come, and he had risen from the grave victorious and ascended on high. It validated that Paul was one born out of time as a unique apostle in the first century. It validated that God's promises to not only save and restore Israel, but to call a people out of the nations, even the unreached. But here's the reality. You and I are not first century apostles. And so we shouldn't expect to be able to perform those miracles, but we do understand this. We have the same gospel that they have. We have the same spirit that they have. We have the same Father who gives His grace. We have the same Son who does His work. We have the same Spirit who enables and empowers. And so we get to get in, amen, on what God is doing. But we have to persevere. Let me tell you a story. In 1912, a medical missionary by the name of William Leslie 
went to live and minister to the tribal people in a remote remote corner of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And after 17 years, he returned to the U.S. a discouraged man. 17 years. Believing he had failed to make an impact for Christ. And after returning, he died nine years after he had returned, thinking he had accomplished nothing. But in 2010, and you can go on the internet and you can see the pictures of this. In 2010, 82 years after he had left, a team was sent to that same area, made a shocking and sensational discovery. They found a network of reproducing churches hidden like glittering diamonds across the river from where Dr. Leslie had served and was stationed. Listen, folks, gospel perseverance will yield gospel boasting. And gospel boasting will enable us to keep persevering. I'm telling you, there's a connection here on this. One of the hardest things in world missions is attrition of missionaries leaving the field. Am I right here on this? Right, Russ? Yeah. And you know what's one of the hardest things during COVID right now? It's pastoral attrition. And listen, what's happening is God in his providence is ripping away all the metrics that American Christians and pastors measure success by. And we're left with what is most important and what remains. And that is God the Father and his grace, God the Son and his work through the gospel, and God the Spirit to enable it all. Listen, if you will focus on gospel boasting, you will be able to persevere in the hard times. And if you will persevere with gospel perseverance in the end, you will be able to boast joyfully in what only God can do. Now, that's the first way to persevere in bearing fruit in hard places. The second way is this. Stay in spite of suffering in hard places. Stay in spite of suffering in hard places. Or you could say it better this way, stick in hard places in spite of suffering. Notice again verses 20 through 22. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I have been prevented in coming to you. In other words, he was going to stay on the field and stick at what God had called him to do until it was completed. Now, we've got to understand the connection between the end of verse 19 and these verses. Because as the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul had been sent by the risen king to proclaim the good news of his victory all around the eastern empire, from around Jerusalem all the way to Ilicrium. And he often wanted to visit this church in Rome. 
But Christ had given him a mission to complete. And Paul would finish it fully, come hell or high water. And if you know anything about Jesus' ministry, he had hell throw at him and he had high water come at him. You can read in these passages, at the beginning of his ministry, he had suffering. At the end of his ministry, he had suffering. Listen, he was committed to fully planting, reproducing local churches where God had sent him. This doesn't mean that he led every individual to Christ or shared the gospel with every individual. It doesn't mean that he planted a church in every city, in every village. But what he did was what God had called him to do. And that was to plant a church, make a church planting movement that was a disciple-making movement that would spread to the regions that he hadn't gone. In other words, Paul had stick-to-itiveness. Stick-to-itiveness. It actually is a word. You can look it up. I thought I had made it up, but it wasn't. It's a real word. Paul had stick-to-itiveness. And that's the principle I want you to grab from these verses. Bearing fruit in hard places requires stick-to-itiveness. It means persevering in places where Christ is not worshipped and people groups have never heard. Look, that's what he says in verse 20. He says, look, here's why I couldn't come. Because I want to preach where Christ has already been named, has, has never been named. What's that mean? Named in the sense of what we did at the beginning of this service. Named in the sense of Jesus is Lord, I want to go where they not only don't know Jesus, but where they don't live for him as Lord. And he says, I want to go to people groups in verse 21, people groups that have never heard, people groups where you say, hey, have you heard of Christ? And they say, what is Christ instead of who is Christ? You see, Paul had a stick-to-itiveness in spite of suffering, and he was glad to share it. With people. In fact, I gave you passages for you to read. You ought to read those this afternoon. In 2 Corinthians, early in, earlier in his ministry, he was beaten. He was shipwrecked. They threw hell at him. He had high water, shipwrecked three times. And then in the middle of his ministry, he was imprisoned. You can read about that in Philippians 1. And then at the end of his ministry, he was imprisoned again and had abandoned by everyone. And yet, you know what? Paul stuck with it. He stuck with it in spite of suffering. He stuck with it. Our guests this month, beginning tonight, are going to share about their stick-to-itiveness. They're going to share tonight about how they have persevered in in, in their case, of just getting to the hard place. And in the weeks to come, we're going to hear how they stuck to it in their hard places. But I'll never forget one of our global partners sent to Pakistan, who came back just, it, it was probably last year or so. Hard place. And yet... What he shared with us was 
we partnered with them when they were headed out. And we talked about the difficulty of that place they were going to. And I looked at them, and, and this is how God can use your words when you minister to missionaries in person. I said, you know what? You guys are going to make it. You have stick to it. You know, I said it, move on, go on to other things. Four years later, they come back. And they said, many a time, sitting at their kitchen table in hard times, in a hard place, they would look at one another and say, remember when Pastor Chris said, we have stick to it. Listen, God can use your words of encouragement this month to these global partners in ways that is beyond our wisdom, beyond our ability, and beyond our ability to do it. But listen, how did Paul persevere through this suffering? How did he have this stick to It was due to being a suffering servant like Christ. It's amazing what he does here in verse 21. And it's hard for me to share the connection here because it's so profound. He quotes Isaiah 52, 15 that we read at the beginning of our service. And what he's doing, he's pointing us not to one verse. He's pointing us to the servant songs of Isaiah. And he's saying, look, I am a servant of the suffering servant. And I am willing to suffer and sacrifice that those who are unreached may be reached. That those who have never heard may hear. To those who have never seen may see through my words and through my deeds. Isaiah 52, 15 launches us into the greatest passage in the Old Testament. In fact, in all the Bible of the atoning work of Jesus Christ who suffered and was humiliated and suffered the most ignoble, humiliating cross death on behalf of those who were far from God, people like you and me. And then he rose victorious and he ascended on high, the victorious king who is ready to grant salvation and a change of heart and a new heart and the indwelling Holy Spirit as a gift. Listen, Paul is saying, I follow the one who stuck to it in the hardest of times, in the hardest of places, and it's he who enables me to reach the unreached because here it is, God is fulfilling his eternal purpose in the now, not yet. God is doing it. Isaiah predicted it over 2,000 years ago and said Messiah would come, and yet... Christ came over 2,000 years ago. He suffered that cross death that, that Isaiah predicted. He rose, but he's coming again. And between his first coming and his second coming, we are to be suffering servants like he was. We are to go like he went. And we are to gather together to see what God, only God can do. And that's reaching the unreached in hard places, by opening hearts and doors with gospel power. You see, Paul was one of those pioneer church planners. He was like those American uh, pioneers in the West. 
I love reading about how the West was won. And it was won by men and women who would pioneer into areas. And those really rugged pioneer types, they would build a home until they saw in the distance the smoke of a chimney of another home. And they'd say, it's time to pull up stakes. It's getting populated around here. And that's the way Paul was. He's like, I want to go to the unreached. Oh, okay, there's a lot of Christians around me. I've got to get out of here and go to where people have never heard. And for him, that was going west to Spain. So, here's the third way you're going to bear fruit in hard places, and it's this. We've got to partner to pioneer church planting with creative access. We've got to partner to pioneer church planting with creative access. You see, we see this in verses 22 through 24. The reason Paul wants to go through Rome is not because he wants to stay there because he's a pioneer kind of guy. Way too many Christians here in Rome for me to put down stakes. No, I just want to pass through. But as I pass through, I want to invite you to partner. And that's what this month is about. That's why Russ and Noemi are here. That's why our other partners are coming. They're passing through. Because God has put a call on their life. There's too many Christians here. I want to go where they've never heard. I want to go where they've never seen. But I've got to have you partner with me. Because it's going to take creative access. You see, we partner with God to plant churches in hard places. There's a key phrase in here I want you to see. And it's verse 24. In the New American Standard, it's helped on my way, helped on my way. It's the same word that's used in 3 John, send them forward, send them forward. It's a powerful word in the Greek. It means not only supporting someone, but supporting them in a way that they're propelled forward to their goal. In fact, in 3 John, it said, send them forward in a manner worthy of God. And that's what we want to do with our partners. Because it's going to take creativity. Listen, hard places are hard to enter. There's hard to stay. It's hard to live there. And it's hard to fulfill the mission. And so it takes creativity. And each of these couples, and if you come for the impact nights, if you come to the World Changer Seminar on the 24th of this month, you're going to see the creative ways that God is using to reach the unreached. But the creativity is not the goal. The goal is access, access to plant churches, access to establish churches, and access to multiply churches. And folks, we get to get in on it. Amen? We not only get to get in on it, but we know it's going to succeed. And how do we know this? We know it because Jesus is the suffering servant who persevered in the hardest of places, the cross. During the hardest of times, bearing the sins of the world. And he did it not just for people like us, but for all peoples. And not only is he the suffering servant, but he's the victorious king of Isaiah who will see the fruit of his work. You see, he endured the cross for the joy set before him. And the joy 
is people from every tribe, nation, language, and people group gathering around his throne and the throne of his father. You see, he persevered until he saw the fruit. And so, beloved, this morning, let's boast in our triune God this month. Let's boast as we celebrate pioneers who persevere in bearing the gospel fruit in hard places. And as we do this, I want you to think of three things. Rejoice this month in our triune God who is doing what only God can do. Listen, missionaries are great people. We love them. But they are sinners saved by grace. And if the triune God does not work through this couple, there will not be fruit that will remain. We want to refresh one another's hearts in the gospel so that we leave this month persevering. And we want to renew our commitment to support and send forward pioneering church planters. Let's pray. Father, we come and we humbly confess that too often we think it's our work, not yours. Too often we take responsibility for the fruit, but it's not ours. And too often we serve in our own ability and not the power of your Spirit. Father, forgive us for our pride and our foolishness and our ignorance. And Lord, draw us once again to the feet of the suffering servant, to the feet of the victorious king, and remind us once again that he and you and your spirit can do what no one else can do. And I pray, Lord, that you will use LifeBridge in a new and refreshed and renewed way. And I pray that our partners and our guests will leave here having been sent forward with gospel momentum. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.